There is nothing like the presence of the Lord. Amen. Amen. The Gospel of John, chapter 17, and we will read, beginning in verse 6. It's a familiar passage. Been through a few times. It's a good place to be at. Wherever Jesus is praying, that's a good thing. Amen. Amen. The Gospel of John says in verse chapter 17, verse 16, it says, I have manifested your name to men whom you have given, given me out of the world. They were yours, you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they have known, all, known that all things which you have given me are from you. For I have given to them the words which you, gave, you have given me, and they have received them, and have known surely that I came forth from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I do not pray for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. And all mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. Now, I am no longer in the world, but these are in the world. And I come to you, Holy Father. Keep through your name those whom you have given me, that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in your name. Those whom you gave me, I have kept, and none of them is lost except the son of perdition that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I come to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the, word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world." I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. And verse 18 says, as you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. And for their sakes, I sanctify myself that they also may be sanctified by the truth. Let us pray. Lord, thank you. For your word that is truth. Thank you for your word that penetrates our hearts as it searches us, God. Thank you for the revelation of your kingdom. Thank you for the revelation of your grace. Thank you for the manifestation of your power and presence in this place today. Holy Spirit, in these next few moments, I pray that you would give us ears to hear what you are saying to your church. I pray that you, would, that you would captivate our hearts, that you would captivate our minds. I pray, Lord God, that you would illuminate us and that you would enable us to respond in faith to your word. I pray that you be glorified through me, Lord, that I would decrease and that you would increase. That my brothers and sisters that are here, that they would hear you clearly and that they would respond to you. In Jesus' good name, someone said, Amen. you may be seated in the presence of the Lord. If you need an outline, you can raise your hand and the ushers will bring you an outline. Just keep your hand up for a moment. Keep your hand up so they can get those outlines to you. Very important for me that you do utilize the outlines. We print them out for you weekly so that way you can follow along with me in the intro of the sermon. And as I will talk about today, all of us are called to make disciples. And one of the ways that we are able to make disciples is in conversation and helping people grow in their faith. And so I have a few questions inside of the outlines for you, for you to answer as to what do you feel the Lord was speaking to you today? And it may not be every single word that I say, but there are some things that God is going to speak to your heart. And it's important that you, that you hear those things and that you meditate upon them. Because listen, I want you to know that it is wasteful of your time for you to come and hear the preaching of the word of God and you not to walk away and do something with it. Amen. We went to a men's conference yesterday. We had a really amazing time. And, you know, in, in those two, I think it's like two hours from what, nine to 12, three hours. You know, we were there. We heard probably like four different speakers. And so when you hear four different speakers, you hear four different messages. That's a lot of information to download and digest spiritually. But here's the thing. There has to be something that is taken away from that. And me, I sat there and I said, okay, what are my takeaways? What is it that I'm going to walk away from here and I'm going to begin to live out? And I have those things. And so my point is, it's way 
blissful for me to sit there and hear the word of God. Same thing for you. So my prayer, and I pray this every week, is that you would hear and that we would hear what the Spirit is saying to the church, that we would do what the scriptures are calling us to do and that we would obey and respond to God in faith. And so in your outlines with me here, we are continuing on in our core four series. We are in the we are in core three right now. And so this is lesson one. And, and I think it's in your outlines that you see a C3-L1. Some of you may be smarter than I, but I would have looked at that and been like, what does that mean? And so that's core three, lesson one. And so this would be the first one of the third portion, which is our reaching others. And so our third core value of discipleship is that of reaching others. Your outline says here, there is no question most Christian Christians struggle to evangelize more than in prayer, reading scripture, participating in church services and functions. This is clearly an attack of the enemy upon the mission of Jesus through his church. And so let me say this. I, we, we've, been, we've been in church for 13 years. And in that time, we've done a couple of different surveys and we've had a few different Bible studies and a few different classes. And whenever the topic of evangelism comes up, there are always, always people that struggle with that. We talk about prayer and people, you know, some people struggle with prayer. They don't know how to talk to God or, you know, they think that they're not spiritual enough or whatever the case is, not eloquent enough. And so people may struggle with that, but it's a little bit easier to get someone beyond that because once somebody understands that the key to prayer is what? It's being reverent and having sincere conversation with God, right? Like he's not your boy, like you're not hanging out. It ain't like that, right? Like you're not trying to bring him down to your level, but you need to understand that God doesn't need you to speak in the King James, right? 1611 in order for him to understand you or hear what you're communicating, right? You don't have to pray like me. You don't have to pray like one of the pastors in the church in order for God to hear. You don't have to pray long prayers in order for God to hear. You need to pray sincere prayers, right? So dealing with prayer, people can get with that. You know, you talk to people and, and you know, some people struggle with, as, as Christians in participation and, you know, in church activities and things like that, whether it's Bible study, whether it's connect life groups, whatever it may be, you know, people may struggle with that. But once you start to look at the scriptures and help people deal with what the Bible says, typically people move beyond that and they start to get plugged in and they start to do what needs to happen. But when it comes to the topic of evangelism, listen, we have, we have gone through three different changes within our teaching on evangelism. Um, you know, we started out doing Becoming a Contagious Christian. One of the books that I read in my first year of Bible college, and as I was reading that book, you know, I come from a Pentecostal church, right? I come from, you know, a church where it's like, if you're not holy, I can't be around you. I mean, I'm just saying, that's how it was. Like, you you weren't holy, so I wasn't going to hang out with you. I wasn't going to go to places that were unholy. That wasn't going to happen. And I still believe that there's some truth to that because I think some of y'all go to some place that are unholy to be unholy. But anyway, we'll, we'll deal with that another day. But the reality is, I think that there's some good reasons why we can go to places that are unholy to reach those who need Jesus, right? Because Jesus, I believe this, and I preached this when I was a youth pastor, and, and I, I really believe that Jesus goes to those places and that Jesus is there. I mean, I've heard testimonies of people that are inside clubs, music is banging, lights are, you know, doing their thing, you know, people are around them, and God is just speaking to this person's life while they're standing in the middle of a club, everybody around them doing all, doing all kind of stuff. Now, what I'm saying is that God goes there to get people, not to hang out and get jiggy with it. Just saying, right? Like, that's not God's goal. Like, God's not going, to go, oh, I, I need to get my little drink on. I need to get my, no, 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 that's not God's goal when he goes there. God is trying to bring people living water, right? God is trying to bring people eternal life. God is trying to deliver people from life of bondage. And, you know, so the point of the matter is, you know, reading Becoming a Contagious Christian really, like, opened my eyes to how important it is to participate within the community, you know, life that you live in order to do what? In order to influence people. And I've often said this, you know, you can be the saltiest person. I don't mean the negative connotation that we have nowadays, right? If you be salty, that's, that's the wrong thing, right? You know, but I, I think that stuff's the enemy, too, because, you know, the enemy takes stuff like the rainbow. Like, the rainbow means something else today than it really means. Right. Pastor Chad told me a story. His son was, was drawing. He drew a rainbow one time. Pastor I was like, no, nah, don't draw that. He's like, but, Dad, it's the rainbow. And the reality is, you know, the enemy tries to, you know, take stuff like that. But nonetheless, when you're salty like a Christian salty, not salty nasty, Right? When, you know, you can be the saltiest person. You can have the most amazing salt on the planet, and if it never touches the meat, it does nothing for it. Are you hearing me? I could, I could have, listen, I could have the, the most pure salt, as, as it, and if it never comes out of the container. In other words, church, if we never come out of the four walls to influence lives, we never bring change to people's lives. If we never walk out of our house and, 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 and actually live 
like Christians and actually, you know, preach the gospel, we're never going to bring change to people's lives. And so listen, I, I want you to know the, four, the next four weeks, I hope they're real heavy. I hope, I'm not, I'm, I'm, I hope that they, and when I say heavy, I hope that they really sink in deep into our souls and that we understand that this is something that we struggle with. And it is clearly, I want you to get this. It is clearly an attack of the enemy. It is the enemy that wants us to be silent. It is the enemy that wants you to believe all of these excuses and many, many more. So look at the second paragraph here. There are many excuses given for why we don't evangelize or reach others. And, 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 and like, you know, for example, that's just not me. You know, that's one of the big excuses that we hear most of the time is that's just not me. One of the things that I love about becoming a contagious Christian is they have a little test there. And it helps you to walk through who you are. And it lets you know, first of all, you need to break down all the stereotypes that there are of evangelism, right? Of evangelists, like everybody is not Billy Graham. Hello, right? Everybody is not, li listen, everybody's not Minister Ricky. I'm going to tell you that right now. Everybody is not Pastor Chad. Everybody is not those people. But can I tell you something? Everybody who is a Christian is called to evangelize. Are you here? Everybody who is called to be a Christian is called to reach others with the message of the gospel. And I want you to know that means you have to open your mouth. You can't just look people into the kingdom and be like, like, you know, like my son, you know, he gets excited, you know, he starts to shake. I don't care, you can shake all that people and think there's something wrong with you. Hello, right? You can't just stare people into the kingdom, right? You can't just smile people in the kingdom. Oh, yes, glory to God. You can't just be nice to people into the kingdom, right? You should do all those things. Don't shake and stare. Don't do that, okay? You should look at people. You should pray for them. I remember, I, I, don't, I don't even know this, but um, one day I was, I was told, I, I remember hanging out, and, um, and there was a young woman. I don't, she, she, she was a friend of mine when I first became a Christian, and she tells me one day, me and my friends are walking down this street, and she was sitting at, like, Christian help or something like that, and she was there to get some assistance. And she told me later on, because she, re she recognized me after I got saved, she said, you know, I remember seeing you and your friends walk across my path in my car, and I just felt the Holy Spirit leading me to pray for you guys, and I was looking at you guys praying for you and so you know what you should be able to see the spiritual needs of people and you should be able to pray and intercede for them. This, this is what being a Christian is about right but we also have to be those who are willing to go out there so a lot of people are like well that's just not me or another one here I feel ill-equipped to share or defend my faith and, and, and this is a true none of these and, and listen I say these are excuses they're real reasons that people give but what I want you to know that none of them excuse you right none of these things say well, well you feel ill-equipped so then get equipped Right? I mean, you can talk to Minister Ricky, you can talk to Pastor Chad, you can talk to, I mean, you can talk to us and we're going to help you to understand. At the end of this, at the last um, of, of this four, I'm going to deal with Jesus, the apostles, and the church and how we're supposed to evangelize scripturally. I'm not going to use becoming a contagious Christian. I'm not going to use way of the master. Those are all good tools. I'm going to use the Bible because you know what? If I look at the scriptures, there's a way that God did it and that's the way that we should follow. Amen. That's what we should do. We should be following the scriptures. So then that could be another excuse that we have. You know, or, or, or another one is this. You know, this is, some, this is someone else's thing or responsibility, like it's someone else's job. You know, yeah, that's the evangelism team's job. Listen, the moment you became a Christian, you became part of the evangelism team. I'm just saying. The moment you said yes to Jesus, you became part of his army, and so you got to walk in this and walk this out. The last thing here I want you to look, well, if you look at this, the last portion, that second paragraph, however, all disciples of Jesus are called to make disciples, which is a twofold process of evangelism, which is reaching the lost, and edification, which is raising the living. And so you and I are called, I don't, it doesn't matter, listen, your personality isn't, isn't, isn't a factor here. How long you've been a Christian, how short of a time you've been a Christian, that is not in question here. If you are a Christian, you are called to make disciples. And what that means is you are called to reach others with the gospel, and you are also called to help others grow in their faith. And listen, I'm not telling you that this is easy. I'm, I'm not going to say that. I'm not going to tell you that this, is, that this is something that for a lot of people just comes natural. I'm going to tell you the adverse. For a lot of people, this is totally against who they are. This is totally against how you were raised. I mean, for me, man, I didn't talk to strangers. I mean, hey, we teach, isn't that one of the first things we teach our kids? Hello. We don't talk to strangers. You know, we don't have conversations like that. Depend on the neighborhood you grew up in, you wouldn't even look at people in the face. Hello. 
because it meant something. And so the point of the matter is, sometimes we have to let the Holy Spirit deal with us, and that's what my prayer is. But here's, here's what I want you to get. This last paragraph is so important for us. We must embrace the reality that our present culture is the product of a commercialized gospel that has produced an unevangelizing church, which has resulted in an under-evangelized nation and ultimately a morally decaying culture. Now, I, I, want you to, I want you to think about that for a moment. Because how many of you would say, when you look around, that there are some issues in our nation? I mean, there are some things that, you know, people were, I mean, uh, just, you know, just a few months ago, you know, some of you in here, you know, you were, you were, you were upset at the Supreme Court because of their decision regarding, you know, the defense of marriage and to, you know, to cast that down, right? And you should have been upset. You should have been upset about two things. The one thing you should have been upset about is obviously the disrespect to God, the disrespect to the scriptures. You should have been highly upset about that. But let me tell you the second thing you should have been highly upset about is that five people nullified millions of people's votes. You should understand that that's not the way that our nation was set up. So that should bother you. But you want to know something? Can I tell you something? You want to know why that stuff gets by? Because nobody is saying anything. Because you have a minority group that is over here, you know, they're, 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 they're speaking up. You know, you know like I, I, love, I love our church. I love the diversity in our church. You know, and, and um, Sister, Sister Sonia, I think she's teaching today. Is she teaching today? She's over there in the nursery. But she's one of those women that I love with, with all my heart. I mean, she's a woman of prayer, you know. And let me tell you some stuff that she does. And, this, and I'm not telling you you have to do this, you know. What I will tell you, you shouldn't bust her, you know, shouldn't bust her child's about this, is that every once in a while, she'll get a list of a specific, um, you know, of a specific business or something like that that is doing something that is clearly a violation of, of scripture that is clearly going against the grain of Christianity and all she'll do is she'll boycott that place and be like I'm not going and you know what's the sad part the sad part is you have some brothers and sisters because of their diversity that are next to so they start saying well, what are you supposed to do not go anywhere well I don't know but do we continue to support the system the way that it is or do we be salt hello because going into that place is not going to matter. Yesterday I heard, I heard a, um, a funny story for the guys that were at the conference. You guys remember this one. Dennis Rainey, he was a keynote speaker, and he said he was out with his daughter. He said he was at a store, um, Abercrombie, Abercrombie and Fitch, right? Daughter's favorite place. And he said she was in the dressing room, and she was trying on some clothes. And, uh, and he was standing there looking at a rack, and then he looked up. And when he said when he looked up, he saw this huge poster, like billboard, on the, on, on the wall there. And it was a guy that was naked. Right? Obviously, he wasn't, you know, showing the front side of him, right? He's showing the back side of him, but he's naked, chiseled, ripped, you know, the kind of guy that all of us want to be. Hello? Right? That's his dude. He's there, you know, he's up to his knees in, in water, you know, and so he goes and he calls the, you know, the man, he you know, t talks to the manager. Manager comes over there and he's like, listen, I, I want to let you know, you know, my family and I, we shop here, you know, have some kids, blah, blah, blah. And then he's like, look, he said, I just want to let you know that I really think that this poster is very offensive. And, you know, the manager's like, well, you know, I, I, I think that's, you know, that's your opinion. And he said, really? So that's my opinion? He said, all right. He said, drop him. If it's not indecent, you get into that position right here. If, it, if that's not indecent, if that's not in, hey, everybody can just walk around like that. So, you know, the guy makes a point, right? Then he goes from there, and he's like, and the guy's like, well, you know, he's like, well, take my name, you know, so management can, he's like, look, man, you know, Mr. Rainey, I can take your name. Management doesn't care what you think. He said, you should see our catalog. And he goes over looking at the catalog, and he's like, there's four naked women in this catalog around one naked guy or something crazy like that. But this is the kind of stuff we support because we like their clothes. See, when salt loses its saltiness, it's good for nothing but to be thrown out. When salt loses its saltiness, it's good for nothing but to be thrown out. That's what Jesus said. And when we talk about the gospel, I want you to understand something. You never bring someone to repentance until you confront their sin with the truth of Scripture, whatever it may be. Understand this. When you look at your Bible and you look at Paul when he was in Athens and he was preaching, you know, on Mars Hill and he's talking to those people, what did he do? He confronted the idols of their day. 
He didn't speak abstractly. He directly confronted their idols of their day. When he cast out the demon of the girl who was prophesying, what did he do? He dealt with those people's idolatry in that place and called them to repent of that specific idolatry. And when we talk about being salt and light in our days and we talk about reaching out, listen, I don't want you to just make a commitment that you're going to talk to people about Jesus. I want you to make a commitment that you are going to stand up for the truth of the scripture in the face of a culture that is going to hate you the same way that it hated the disciples, the same way that these people were persecuted that you and I will get up and say, look, no longer are we going to sit back and tolerate and hope someone else does this job. We are the people who are called to do this job. We are the people who have been anointed and appointed by God to go forth and reach others with the message of the gospel. And the title of my message is Why Reach Others? Because if we don't reach them, they continue to go to hell in a handbasket. And guess what they do? They continue to take the culture further and further away from God. When we are supposed to be here to be a light in the midst of a culture a salt in the midst of this earth and we have the power of the gospel the bible says paul says i'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is what it is the power of god unto salvation but the truth of the matter is most of us won't even stand up to tell somebody about jesus much less confront the idols in their life you know why because it's not politically correct some of you are offended just because i'm saying this stuff and that's okay we'll get past that but here's the thing we commercialize the gospel. What do, what do I mean by that? Listen, most people come to church not because someone invited them, not because someone talked to them, not because someone witnessed to them. They come to church because they did a Google search. They come to church because they got some brochure in the mail. They come to church because they got some kind of, so, something happened, and it wasn't the gospel presentation. Listen, we become masters of marketing. That doesn't mean that our churches are growing. Hello? If people are not coming to faith in Christ, just because people fill a building, just because people fill an offering basket, just because people do all of that stuff, that does not mean that they are being transformed. Are you hearing me? You see, the reason why this, and I, and I always tell you this, I don't call it prosperity gospel. I, pro, I call it prosperity garbage. The reason why it is so, it's so amazing in America is because you know what it does? It brings God to your aid to deal with all of your idols. Everything you've that big house you want, all you got to do is give enough and you'll get it. That nice car you want, all you got to do is give enough and you'll get it. Listen, you want salvation for your children? Don't worry about praying the scriptures over their life. Don't worry about crying out to God for them. Don't worry about any of that stuff. Just give a big enough offering at the right time and the right moment and that's going to be breakthrough in their life. Listen, I'm going to tell you something. I'm a product today of a woman who didn't have no money, but she had plenty of faith. And what she did was she got on her face, and the only reason I know this is not because I ever heard her pray for me, but I heard her pray for her dad. See, I heard her pray for my grandfather. And when I heard my mom pray for my grandfather, I knew, I was like, man, if she's praying for her dad like that, I can only imagine how much she's praying for me. I can only imagine how hard she prayed for me to come into the kingdom of God. And so what am I saying? What I'm saying is we need to understand this commercialization has liberated us. And so, you know, we feel like, hey, man, you know, we'll let someone else, you know, some kind of advertisement, some kind of something do the job that we're supposed to do. And so we have what we have here. And so here's the big idea. And this is going to be the big idea for the next four weeks that I want you all to get it. And this is a long one. And so I hope you, you, you will write this down and you'll meditate on this a little bit. But it is this. It is that we have been called into a relationship with God reconciled through Christ and are sent, empowered by the Holy Spirit for gospel mission. I'll say that again, and I think it's behind me, but it is we have been called into a relationship with God, reconciled through Christ and are sent, empowered by the Holy Spirit for gospel mission. And what I want us to understand is that the same way that we talked about, you know, loving God and the same way that we talked about growing together is that it is the same thing here. These are all things that a disciple should be, must be committed to. And look, I, don't, and I want you to know this. I am not in any way, shape, or form trying to make you feel guilt in an ungodly way. That is not my goal here. My goal is to simply communicate the truth of Scripture, and my heart and my prayer is that your hearts would be turned towards God in a way like they've never been before. It is that we would really understand the importance. Listen, evangelism is not about filling empty seats. It's not about that. It's not about, you know, going to two services. It's not about, you know, adding to our numbers. It's not about posting on Facebook how many people. It's not about any of that stuff. 
The reason why we need to evangelize is because there are dying people who desperately need us to open our mouths. There are dying people who desperately need us to become bold witnesses for the gospel like we see in the scriptures. The example that we have in the word of God needs to be something that we take seriously in our lives and say, God, I'm not going to sit back, but I'm going to understand this big idea that I've been called into a relationship with God, that I've been reconciled through Christ, and that I have been sent and empowered by the Holy Spirit for gospel mission. My first point I ask you to repeat after me is this. Say, as image bearers, we are to imitate a sent and sending Savior. As image bearers, we are, to, we are to imitate a sent and sending Savior. And so we read here already, right, where Jesus prays, and I pointed out to you when we got to verse 18. Look at verse 18. He says, as you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. And so when Jesus says that, now notice he says, as I, as you, right? So the same way you sent me, the same way that you sent me in this world to do something on mission is the same way I am sending them on mission. So here's what I want you to get, that the same way that Jesus was sent is the same way you and I are sent. And we need to sense the weight of that, all right? Jesus had a real mission from the Father, and so do we. And so I want you to turn over to John chapter 20 because this is going toward the end after Jesus resurrects. John chapter 20 and verse 19 through 23. And I want you to see what Jesus communicates here. And it says this, it says, Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in the midst and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had, when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. So Jesus said to them again, Peace to you. Listen to this. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And so you hear that there. As the Father sends me, I also send you. So he prays it in chapter 17. He confirms it in chapter 20, letting them know, listen, letting them know there's no question about this. The same way the Father sent me is the same way I'm sending you guys. So you're going to go forward. He, go, he continues on to say, <clears throat> he said, when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. Now, what I want you to understand that this is not some authority to go and walk around and say, okay, you're forgiven, you're unforgiven, you're forgiven, you're unforgiven, you're forgiven. That's not what this is. What Jesus is saying here is that I've given you a message to communicate. I've given you a word to give. And when people respond to that word, you can affirm to them they have been forgiven. Amen? Here's the other thing. When people reject that word, when people reject Jesus as the only Savior, as the only Messiah, as the only way, I don't care how good their lives look. I don't care how well they may seem to be. It doesn't matter. You can affirm that they're unforgiven. Are you here? That's the authority that the church has, not because of us, but because of Jesus and because of the message of the gospel. And so that's the reason why it's easy for us to say that what the world tells us that we should not judge, they are incorrect, they don't understand what they're talking about, and you don't need to listen to that. Hello? Right? Oh, don't judge me. Listen, there's only one that can judge me. You're right, and he sent me as his representative to help you before you meet him. Are you here? You're right, there's only one that can judge you eternally, but you know what? He sent me to help you out because when you meet him, you want to make sure you are his friend, not his enemy. And I want to let you know that everything in your life right now indicates that you are his enemy, right? But there is a way for you to be saved. There is a way for you to be delivered. There is a way for you to be set free. But what I want you to get is this. As image bearers, we are to imitate a sent and sending God. It is of the utmost importance that we realize that all that we do as disciples is rooted in who we are as disciples. Being a disciple is simply imaging God, imaging the God who saved us. Now, look, we talked about loving God. So why do we love because God is love. That's the reason why we love is because God is love. We're, we're imaging him. When I walk in love, I am imitating. I am imaging God. The same, thing, the, the same thing holds true. As disciples, we commit to community because what? Because God is a Trinitarian God. He dwells in community. And so the reason why I commit to community is because of who I am. See, I am now a new person, and that new person has a new life. Because what? Now, we know the gospel, right? The gospel is very clear that we are all born into sin. We 
are sinners separated from God because of our decisions, because of our actions, not only because of our birth. It's not just because our, 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 our father was a male. It is not just that, but it is because we decide that we're going to sin and rebel against God. And that sin leads us to a trajectory on our way to hell, a separation from God. But the beauty of it is, is that Jesus comes and he dies in our place so that way we don't have to spend eternity separated from God, but we can spend eternity with God. But we also realize that eternity doesn't begin the day we breathe our last breath. Eternity begins in our hearts the day we surrender our life to Christ. And so the moment that I put my faith in that gospel message, I become a new creation, and now I am responsible to bear the image of the Savior who died and bled for me. You are too as well. Amen? And so we have this responsibility. And so we realize that we are called to bear his image. And so the reason why I point this out is because everything we're talking about in this core four, that's the reason why these are the core values. Because this is what a disciple looks like because this is what God looks like. And so why do we reach others? Because God is a reaching God. Because he reached down to us. Because he came to this earth to die in our places. So you know what we do? We reach others with a message. And in the, in the last core four, we'll see why do we serve? Because we're, we feel guilty? Because we have to? We serve because our God is a servant. Hello. That's the character. That's the image of our God. And so Jesus prayed for his disciples, as I said earlier. Then he commissioned them based on his mission. He was sent, so he sends them. And as a result, we are sent following the example of our Savior and our forefathers in the faith. I want you to get this really quickly. Uh, I remember I preached a, a while back when I was going through the Gospel of John. And I was talking about Jesus being sent. And there was somebody who was sitting there, and, and they're, they're, they're not a member of this church. They just happened to be visiting that day. And this person's a friend of mine, and so, you know, it's not a big deal. But, you know, they, they, they always have something funny to say, um, you know. And so after I was done, he was, he was questioning whether we were sent or not. He's like, yeah, but he was talking to his disciples there. He's not talking to us. I'm like, okay, well, here's the thing. And we're going to look at the scripture in a moment. But in Matthew 28, Jesus told his disciples to teach us all things that they were taught. So that would mean that his disciples would teach us what? To reach others. Hello. So it's not like a teaching change, right? It's not, it's not like that. none of that ever changed. Now we continue on to continue in this process. So just get that, you know, if, if anyone brings that to you, God is in this, in this portion of Scripture, he's clearly um, commissioning his specific apostles and disciples at that moment. But we, as a result of recipients of the word that they preached, that they taught, and the example they gave, we're sent the same way that they are. And so here it is. To ignore the truth that God sent us is to deny our identity as ambassadors of reconciliation which we're going to deal with next week, who represent the Savior who came to seek and save that which was lost. I'll read that again. To ignore the truth that God sent us is to deny our identity as ambassadors of reconciliation, who represent the Savior who came to seek and to save the lost. Here's the thing. When I decide, when you decide, you're not going to, you're not going to share the gospel with anyone. You're not going to be intentional about reaching others with the message. You are denying your identity. Are you here? When I decide to do that, I am denying my identity. And so it's the same thing for all of us. The second point is this. Say this with me. Gospel mission is to be a way of life for all disciples. Gospel mission is to be a way of life for all disciples. Turn with me to Matthew 28, scripture I just told you we were going to look at. Matthew 28. Matthew 28, verse 18 through 20. You got to say so. And it says here, verse 18, it says, And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. I want you to see two things. Verse 19, he says, go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. Now, he gives you the way to, to, that we make disciples. And it is baptizing in verse 19, teaching in verse 20. That's the two twofold role of making disciples, right? And so what that means here, and I think I shared this with you before. I don't know if I did, but I'll share it again. Um, 
Real Life, is, you know, for, for those of you that know Dan Holland, he is one of the associate pastors there for Real Life. You know, Real Life, J Justin Miller, you might have seen him on um, one of the Christian programs. They have a, a show called Real Talk. And one of the things that blessed me, I think it was last year, um, I, I, I think it, it might have been last year, but they, they, they baptized around over 400-something people. And the, that's impressive in and of itself. I and mean, that's just an awesome thing to show that these people are, you know, leading people to Christ. But let me tell you something that was even more of a blessing to me because before they, you know, before they posted that on Facebook or whatever it was, you know, as a celebration, what happened was uh, I was talking to, you know, to, to their, they have a guy that's over there, their lay counseling team. It's basically the congregation that counsels people. And one of the things that he said is that the pastors are not the ones that are baptizing these people. It is actually the people who are counseling these people, leading them to Jesus, and then asking them if they want to make a commitment to Christ, and then they're the ones who are baptizing. Why, 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 why does that matter to me? Because, no, listen to me. I, look, I, this is going to mess with some of y'all. Nowhere in the Bible does it say that the pastor has to baptize you. Are you hearing me? It doesn't say that. You know, we've done baptisms here where actually a husband baptized a wife. You know, a father baptized children. To me, that's beautiful. That's a, that it, what, what has to happen is a mature Christian, like, you know, you shouldn't just go walking around dunking each other. Hello. Right, like, that's not what I'm saying, right? Hey, I'm going to baptize you today. No, listen, that's not. <laughs> you have to understand the importance of baptism, right? You need to understand what it is. When someone makes a commitment to Christ, you know, Philip and the, and the Ethiopian, you remember them? They're, they're going down and Philip's breaking down the scriptures from Isaiah, the one that we read here, you know, every, every, every Sunday morning. As he's breaking down the scriptures, you know, they come to some water. And what does the Ethiopian say? The Ethiopian's like, well, what hinders me from being baptized? And what did Philip say? He's like, do you believe? And he's like, I believe. And he said, all right, well, let's do it. Was Philip an apostle or something? Was he a pastor? Later on, he's called an evangelist, but at this point, he's not called any of that. He was a preacher of the gospel. Someone makes a commitment, and you can baptize someone. That's a beautiful thing, right? And so what we have here is that gospel mission is to be the way of life for all disciples. But listen to me. You don't, you don't, someone, understand this. Someone being baptized doesn't save them. Hello. It is the commitment to Christ. It is the grace of God that saves them, and then they openly confess it through baptism. That's what happens. That's what's supposed to occur. And then we teach and we grow them. And I want you to get this. You're going to write these down. We're not going to have time to go through all of these scriptures. But all four gospels, all, all four gospel accounts, Matthew 16, verse 15 through 20, Luke chapter 26, verse 44 to 53, and John chapter 20, verse 19 through 23, which we already read. I'll say it again. Mark chapter 16, 15 through 20. Luke chapter 26, 44 through 53. And John chapter 20, verse 19 through 20. And obviously Matthew chapter 28, verse 18 through 20. They all have the, a version of what we have come to know as the Great Commission. Every one of these gospels. And it's beautiful because what happens is we know that there is no mistake right? And, and, and they're written by different writers. And so they heard this and you get the different perspectives on what Jesus is communicating. And nonetheless, they all honor, all honor one another. And they show us that we are called to do what? To go out and to make disciples. So it is, it is unquestionable. It is an unquestionable fact that reaching others is to be a way of life for disciples of Jesus. However, hear me, it is not natural. So we must be intentional until it becomes the norm. Let me say that again. It is not natural so we must be intentional until it becomes the norm. Now listen, I, I know a lot of people, you know, New Year's comes around and everybody's going to eat right. Amen. Glory to God. And you're going to do things that are not natural, right? Well, they might be natural, right? Whatever. You're going to eat in a way that is not natural to you. Hello. <laughs> you're going you're gonna to start not eating stuff. And can I tell you something? This is something that I, that, that I learned anytime that I ever try to do any kind of diet, anytime I have to be intentional to make sure that I don't do what? That I don't go back into the old habits. Because it is much easier to walk out of Faith Dome on Sunday morning. I'm not telling you all not to do this. And go grab an apple fritter. Hello, somebody. Right? It is much easier for me to do that than for me to say, nah, man, I'm going to wait till I get home to eat something right. Hello. Right? So for three more weeks, I'm not going to eat apple fritters. After that, you're going to watch me walk out there, and I'm grabbing one, and I'm going to bless it. I'm going to break it like Jesus did and say, Lord, thank you for the apple fritter. <laughs> but nonetheless, the point is this, right? And then you can rebuke me for my idolatry. But, but ultimately, <laughs> the point is evangelizing 
is not something that is natural, right? It's not something that just, it, it, it's, it, it's not like a natural thing. You have to be intentional with it in order for it to become the norm in your life. You see, because if you're intentional, then it becomes normal. That becomes the normal thing you do. You know, there's people that have, I, I think I told y'all I went to, I went to um, lunch with um, Dr. Pete. The first time I went to lunch with him, we're sitting down there in the, in the, in the um, Chili's. And when the waitress came back to the table, you know, he said, hey, you know, we're going to pray for this food. He's like, is there a way that I can pray for you? And I was like, wow, man, I love that. And I've done that once. Right? I, I did it one time. I might have done it twice. I'm, I'm just kidding. I mean, I, I've done it a couple times or whatever. But the point is, I don't do it every single time that I sit down. Here's the thing. I've had, I've had lunch with him many times. He doesn't do it every single time that he sits down either. But you know what happens is, when you start doing stuff like that, it becomes what? The norm. It becomes something that is a habit. It's something that you're on your mind. Look, man, you need to be prayerful. Like, like today, like some of y'all going to go eat at a place. You should be prayerful. Okay, God, how can I be used by you to, to, to evangelize to someone? Because you don't know who's there, who's waiting for you to be able to minister to them. And we've had, you know, people that have come. I had one guy, he was like, yeah, he showed me a picture of his daughter. He's like, man, can you pray for my daughter, blah, blah, blah. Some people, they're, they're open to that. It's up to us to make sure that we become intentional so that it becomes a norm in our lives. See, here's what I want you to get. Our, our, our motivation to live life on mission, reaching the lost by sharing the gospel, standing up for the truth, should not be motivated by guilt or pride, but love from and for our Savior. Let me say that again. Our motivation to live life on mission, reaching the lost by sharing the gospel, standing up for the truth, should not be motivated by guilt or pride, but love from and for our Savior. Are you hearing me? It should be, not because I feel guilty, man. I got to go, man. All right, now, now when I go to lunch, I got to ask the waitress if I can pray for her. Man, you know, you know what? I want you to be moved to do that for the right reason. I want you to know it'll open up a conversation. I want you to know there's a good segue into, hey, man, do you know Jesus? I mean, you can walk the conversation wherever you want it to go. But my thing is this. I don't want you to just feel the weight of guilt. I want you to know the power of grace. I want you to understand that God has empowered you to be a voice in the midst of our days. As a matter of fact, that brings us to our third point. Say this with me. The harvest, the harvest. is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Look with me real quick to Matthew. Y'all like got low on few. You were like, our few. Y'all feel like you're the few? Hello, somebody. Matthew chapter 9. Look with me at Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9, verse 35 to 38. When you got to say so. All right, I'll wait. There was only a couple souls there. When you got to say so, and it says, there's a few more. So it says this in, in Matthew chapter 9, verse 35. It says, then Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. Look what he says. He says, then he said to his disciples, the harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Now write these other scriptures down. Luke chapter 10, verse 1 through 16, and John chapter 4, verse 34 to 38. So those are, th those are three places where similar accounts are, are in the gospel. Here's what I want you to get. In the gospel of, of Matthew and Luke, what we find here is the same account generally, right? It's the same account. Jesus is there. He's in the midst of the mission. He's in the middle of the work, and he sees the condition of the people. It's, it's, it's almost like Jesus is so just into what he's doing that all of a sudden he has a moment when he glimpses up. And he sees all of these people that are coming to him for healing, all these people that are coming to hear the message that he's preaching, all of these people who are, who are experiencing hardship, who are overwhelmed with their lives. And he sees all of these people that are coming towards him and, and, and that he's trying to minister to. And the scripture says he is moved with compassion. And he tells his disciples here, he tells them that the, that the harvest is plentiful, meaning that it is abundant, meaning that there is a lot of work to do. Are you here? 
When you look in the Gospel of John, he says something different in John chapter 4. That's the, that's the story with the woman um, that, that was at the well. And she goes and she preaches to her city. And then all of a sudden, the people from her city are coming to Jesus to hear from him. And there's, and, and, and there's, there's no real clarity as to what happened. But Jesus tells him there, he says, you know, you say that it's four months to the harvest. I tell you, lift up your eyes and look because the fields are white and they are ready. And what a lot of theologians believe is that the color of their clothing as they were walking behind the harvest, you know, the harvest field made it look like it was white. That's what some people say. It doesn't say that in the scriptures. The point of the matter is, is that Jesus was pointing the attention of his disciples to who? To the people who needed the gospel. And he tells them two things. He tells them, one, the work is a lot. Number two, the work is ready to be plucked. He's telling them that there is a harvest that is ready to be harvested. And I want you to know, I went to a conference, not, 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 um, not this one this past week, but uh, last month, I believe it was, and Ed Stetzer, he's a missiologist, and this guy does a lot of different studies. And one of the things that he did is he was talking about the different age groups. And it was funny because he gave the statistics of the age groups that are like the 20 or like, like the 25 and, you know, between 18 or something like that. And, and when he was given that group, like that, that age group of people, he was, he was sharing how open they are to talk about God. You want to know what? They're actually more open to talk about God than 30 to 40 year olds. Now listen, they may be confused and they may not know. See, a lot of people, I, I want to talk to these crazy kids. Listen, have a conversation with these crazy kids. Hello. Right? Because they're the ones that are open to spirituality. Can you show them the truth and lead them to Jesus? Yes, you can. You can communicate the truth to them, but they're open. You know what the problem is? There's no one available to talk to them. So you know what's happening? What's happening is they're being confused. They're being deceived by wrong and false religions. So it's up to us to do what? To be out there and to say, hold on a second, Lord. The, the, you said that the labor is, that, that, that the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. See, Jesus sees this, and then he calls his disciples. He calls them with three things in mind. First of all, the abundance and the readiness of the harvest. The second thing is the lack of laborers. And the last thing is their role in his kingdom work. He tells them, look, man, the harvest is ready. The harvest is plentiful. I want you to also know something. The harvest is plentiful. The harvest is ready. But there are a lack of people who are willing to go out there, put their hands to the plow, and bring the gospel to a world that needs it. There are people that are too busy in their lives. Their lives belong to them. Their time belongs to them. You know, they're done. Like, y'all, like, looking at your clock. Okay, Bishop, you've been going for 40, 44 minutes. You only got a few more minutes of my attention. Here's the thing. A lot of people, they are there, and they're at that place that they need to hear the gospel, but we're so consumed with our lives that we're not sharing anything. Jesus says this, but then what did he tell them? He said, pray to the Lord of the harvest. I remember when I was in youth ministry, there was a young lady, and she was talking about her issue, sharing the gospel. And what I want you to know is that the same, the same things that Jesus said here, none of them have changed. The harvest is still abundant and ready. The laborers are few, and I would argue are fewer, and we still need to be prayerfully engaged and empowered for the work. This young lady, she was there in the youth ministry, and she was talking to the youth pastor at the time, and she was saying how she was struggling, you know, with, you know, preaching the gospel. And his advice to her was, hey, you just need to go out there and just start sharing. And so, you know, I didn't agree, you know, with him completely. And I was like, nah, man, you know what the Bible says? The Bible says to pray the Lord of the harvest, that he would send laborers into the field. And you, and you know why I believe that scripture is so powerful? Because here's the deal. If you sincerely, sincerely pray the Lord of the harvest about laborers, you know what he's going to do? He's going to tap you on your shoulder and say, where are you at? You really want laborers? But you know what? God doesn't just tap you on the shoulder. He taps you in your heart. And he, and he fills your heart with this abundant grace. He fills your heart with this passion to go out there and share. He fills your heart with boldness, and that way when you go out there, you know. See, the reason why we read Matthew 28, because when Jesus commissions his disciples, he says something that is so powerful and profound. He starts it off saying, all authority in heaven and on earth have been given to me. And the last verse, the sandwich between this gospel mission is, number one, I have been given all authority, and number two, at the end, I'll be with you always. And so the one that has all authority, the one who has all power, is the one who says, pray to me about the harvest, and I will put in your heart the power, the ability, and the grace, and the burden for you to go out there and make a difference within this harvest. And so my thing is this, is that we would have the heart for God. There's a video that I want you guys to see, and after that, I'm going to go ahead and wrap us up. And so check out this video, please. You guys ready with the video? 
church. You procrastinate. No, not that When one. you procrastinate. It's not that one. Not that one. It's a longer one. There we go. whole religious scene today and all I see are the inventions and ministries of man and flesh it's mostly powerless it has no impact on the world and I see more of the world coming into the church and impacting the church rather than the church impacting the world I see the music taking over the house of God I see entertainment taking over the house of God an obsession with entertainment in God's house, a hatred of correction and a hatred of reproof. Nobody wants to hear it anymore. Whatever happened to anguish in the house of God? Whatever happened to anguish in the ministry? It's a word you don't hear in this pampered age. You don't hear it. Anguish means extreme pain and distress. The emotion so stirred that it becomes painful, acute, deeply felt inner pain because of conditions about you, in you or around you. Anguish, deep pain, deep sorrow, agony of God's heart. We've held on to our religious rhetoric and our revival talk, but we've become so passive all true passion is born out of anguish. All true passion for Christ comes out of a baptism of anguish. You search the scripture and you'll find that when God determined to recover a ruined situation, he would share his own anguish for what God saw happening to his church and to his people. And he would find a praying man and he would take that man and literally baptize him in anguish. You find it in the book of Nehemiah. Jerusalem is in ruins. How is God going to deal with this? How is God going to restore the ruin? Now folks, look at me. Nehemiah was not a preacher. He was a career man. But this was a praying man. And God found a man who would not just have a flash of emotion, not just some great sudden burst of concern and then let it die. He said, no, I broke down and I wept and I mourned and I fasted. And then I began to pray night and day. Why didn't these other men, why didn't they have an answer? Why didn't God use them in restoration? Why didn't they have a word? Because there was no sign of anguish. No weeping. Not a word of prayer. It's all ruined. Does it matter to you today? Does it matter to you at all that God's spiritual Jerusalem, the church, is now married to the world? That there's such a coldness sweeping the land Closer than that, does it matter about the Jerusalem that's in our own hearts? The sign of ruin that's slowly draining spiritual power and passion, blind to lukewarmness, blind to the mixture that's creeping in. That's all the devil wants to do is get the fight out of you and kill it. So you won't labor in prayer anymore. You won't weep before God anymore. You can sit and watch television and your family go to hell. Let me ask you, is what I just said convicted you at all? There's a great difference between anguish and concern. Concern is something that, you, that begins to interest you. You take an interest in 
a project or a cause or a concern or a need. I'm going to tell you something I've learned over all my years, 50 years of preaching. If it is not born in anguish, if it has not been born by the Holy Spirit, where when you saw and heard of the ruin, it drove you to your knees. And all our projects, all our ministries, everything we do, where are the Sunday school teachers that weep over kids they know are not hearing and they're going to hell? You see, a true prayer life begins at the place of anguish, a place where lifetime decisions are made. You see, if you, you set your heart to pray, God's going to come and start sharing his heart with you. You see, you, you, you either walk away and go back to your passivity and say, I'm just going to be an ordinary Christian and there's no such thing. Or your heart begins to cry out, oh God, your name is being blasphemed. The Holy Spirit's being mocked. The enemy is out trying to destroy the testimony of the Lord's faithfulness and something has to be done. You can't go unchallenged. There's going to be no renewal, no revival, no awakening until we're willing to let him once again break us. Folks, it's getting late and it's getting serious. Please don't tell me. Don't tell me you're concerned. Don't tell me that you want your unsaved loved ones saved when you're spending hours in front of internet or television. Come on. Lord, there's some need to get this altar and confess. I am not what I was. I am not where I'm supposed to be. God, I don't have your heart or your burden. I've been, I wanted it easy. Just want to be happy. But Lord, true joy comes. True joy comes out of anguish. There's nothing of the flesh will give you joy. I don't care how much money, I don't care what kind of new house there is absolutely nothing physical could give you joy. It's only what is accomplished by the Holy Spirit when you obey Him and take on His heart. Build the walls around your family. Build the walls around your own heart. Make you strong and impregnable against the enemy. talk about praying Jesus said pray the Lord of the harvest that he would send laborers for those of you that don't know that voice that is a preacher you may think that he's some like country preacher and he was his name was he's the late David Wilkerson for those of you that know a guy by the name of Nicky Cruz he left his little country town years and years ago because he heard of this Hispanic gangbanger the streets of New York and he left over there because he had a burden for someone who was dying and he went over there in the midst of it all and, and if you hear the testimony I mean Nikki Cruz obviously tells his story better but David Wilkerson I mean Nikki grabbed him by his throat at one point and was like man you know I'm gonna kill you and he said you could cut my body into pieces and those pieces would cry out to you Jesus loves you He's got a church here. Well, he had a church in Times Square, New York, and so he wasn't in like some area that was like, you know, back over somewhere where, no man, he's in the midst of it all, preaching the hardest message to a people that desperately need to hear it. Because you know what, we just think that life is just okay and everything is all right, and the truth of the matter is that it's not. And so my hope, my hope is that you heard the words that God has spoken to your heart today and that you realize a few things, that Jesus really is the only answer for the moral and spiritual plight of our culture. I said it earlier, if salt never gets out there, it never changes anyone. Jesus really is that answer. I want you to know that the church is the only source through which the light shines and salt preserves. And so realize this, please. Understand 
that we, that look, you, you may look to the left or to the right or it's someone else's job or somewhere else is supposed to happen, but the truth of the matter is it is our call. We are, there is no plan B for this gospel mission. It is the church. It is us that are called to be out there and to be those that are reaching those who don't know God. Reaching others is the only way revival will happen and change occur in our culture. And hear this, if we sincerely care about the next generation, See, I realized something about evangelism. I realized something about standing up for truth. It's not about me. What if Jesus tarries? What if Jesus doesn't make it for the next 80 years? Well, that's my grandkids. That's my great-grandkids generation. And what am I going to do? Look to them and hope that they do something about this that's going on? No. The gospel is the power of God under salvation. It is the power of God to change hearts, to change lives. And we are the ones who have been commissioned with that. And so let that sink in and, and, and look, look. Don't look to the left or to the right. Look into your own heart and ask this question. What is it that hinders me from reaching others? What is it that holds me back? What is it that keeps me from moving forward? See, if we sincerely care about the next generation, we will recognize the gravity of our culture. We will repent of our lack of compassion and engagement, and we will commit to reaching others. See, let's all stand to our feet, please. See, we're going we're gonna to sing this song, and, and it's, 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 it's really a prayer unto our God. It's really a cry of our heart unto God. And listen, I'm gonna, I, I, I want to open up this altar. I want you to come forward. If you, if, if you feel like, God, I hear your call, and I want to be part of what you're doing in this earth. I don't want to take a back seat. I don't want to sit, you know, I want to sit in the passenger seat with you as the driver. But you know, you know, you know, you know that you cannot just sit back idly anymore. And listen, that may be, that you stepping out of your seat just to come up here may be uncomfortable enough. But here's the thing. I want you to be faithful to respond to God. As we sing that we can cry out together, that we can say, God, I want to be part of this last day army. I want to be part of that remnant. I want to be part of those people. I want to be baptized with an anguishing heart. I want to be filled with a passion for God like I've never had before. I want to be that person that doesn't allow my neighbors to go to hell without my tears wetting the floor for them, without my knock on their door, without me standing up for them, without me responding responding to the needs that there are. I don't want to be that person that sits by and hopes someone else can speak to them about Jesus, but I want to be that person that says, God, I want your heart. God, I want your heart today. I want you to begin something deep inside of me. I want you to begin something deep. I want you to break me like I've never been broken. I want to be burdened like I've never been burdened. And if that's you as we're singing here today, it's not just a song. Like I said, this is a prayer unto our God. And so I invite you to come forward. Don't wait for anyone else. I invite you to do that now. Hallelujah, God. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Oh, God. Jesus. Would you pray, I pray? Would you pray, I pray? Yes, God. Where you go, I go. What you say, I say. Would you pray, I pray? Would you pray, I pray? Jesus only did. Come to you, Lord God, today. Father, and I humble my heart before your presence. Lord, help us to recognize the weight of this reality, God. Father, burden our hearts with what burdens yours. Burden our hearts with that for which you bled and you died. Burden our hearts, my God, to be the light that shines in a dark world. 
Burden our hearts to be the salt in the midst of this earth. God, burden us, my God. Father, weigh us down, Lord Jesus. That we would be moved with compassion like you were when you saw the multitudes. God, let us lift our eyes from, the, from our own lives, my God. Let us lift our eyes from our own mundane, everyday, Lord, cycles that we go through. Father God, let us lift our eyes and let us look at the condition of the culture. Let us look beyond the walls of our own neighborhoods, God. Let us look at what's going on nationally. Let us look at what's going on globally, God. Let us look at what is happening, Lord God, in neighborhoods that we drive by and drive over. Let us see, Lord God, the reality of the desperate need that there is for you, God. Father, you've commissioned us, Lord. Forgive us for not following your lead. Forgive us for not obeying that commission, God. Forgive us for allowing our personality type to be a reason we don't speak. Forgive us for our upbringing being the reason why we don't reach others, God. Lord, forgive us for never leading someone to faith, God, not even our own children. God, forgive us, God. Forgive us for not carrying the torch of this gospel as we should, my God. Father, we humble ourselves before you, Lord. Father, let the conviction of the Holy Spirit grip us. And Lord God, fill us with the grace, the grace to obey, the grace to honor God, the grace to go out in our everyday lives, Lord God. To go out every day, Lord God, on mission with you. Let us wake up, Lord God, every morning, Lord God, beginning tomorrow morning. Lord God, praying to you sincerely. Father, order my steps today. Order my conversations today. Father, no matter what we're doing, whether it's work, whether it's recreation, Father God, whether it's vacation, whatever it is, Lord, lead us, my God. Father, give us eyes, Lord God. Give us a heart to see the great need that there is for you in this earth. And let us know that you've deposited great glory in earthen vessels and that you have given us a message that can change lives. Hallelujah. Father, set us free yes. for our commercialized Christianity. Set us free from our consumer mindsets. Set us free, God. break chains off of lives in this place. Give us boldness. Give us compassion. We pray these things in the great, great name of Jesus. Amen, amen, amen. Come on, give God a hand of praise.